Welcome to Local Share Green Action Podcast. This show is produced by Go Green Locally, a 501c3 nonprofit providing tools and resources for people that are looking for ways to take even more successful local action that makes a difference for our people and our planet. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with the founder of a nonprofit project to grow and supply free native trees for reforesting both in urban, suburban, and wild areas. Speaking with Basil Kamu, who is with a local tree service company called Leaf and Limb, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Basil loves all of the aspects of natural ecosystems, from the trees to soil, wildflowers, insects, bats, and fungi. He is a treecologist, ISA board-certified master arborist a Duke graduate and is committed to taking action that helps care for and restore the planet. Though trees are his passion and profession, he also loves cultivating flowers in his garden, restoring native meadows, and propagating plants from seed. On the personal side, he's a family man who enjoys hanging out with his wife and sons, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, powerlifting, hiking, long-distance running, and whenever possible, world traveling. Welcome to the show, Basil. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're so excited too. I'm so um, excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led to your work with trees and ways to provide a large number of trees needed to help restore our ecosystems. Yeah. Yeah. So what planted the seed for you to want to take some kind of earth-friendly action originally? Originally, it would come down to my work with plants. I don't. I was not always this uh, conscientious. I really wasn't at all conscientious, actually, about many of the issues we're facing, uh, ecological issues, climate-related issues. Um, but through my work with trees, uh, learning about tree biology, and particularly soil, as I really learned more and more about soil, and that was one of the things that Leaf and Limb um, Early on, we knew that to really truly help make healthy trees, we had to be looking at soil. And traditionally in our industry, the model has been to use chemicals. Um, At first I bought into that model because I didn't know any better, but then I started learning about soil biology, soil ecosystems and how how they work. Uh, And then I, I came to understand really truly what soil ecosystems need to be healthy is much more basic. It's just simply organic matter it's photosynthesis, uh, it's no chemicals, no uh, fertilizers, these sorts of things. And that really opened up a big path for me to where after having worked with trees and soil for almost a decade, I came to this realization that we really do have a lot of fundamental issues on this planet. A lot of them get great publicity like carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but then there's a lot of other big issues that don't get so much publicity like Uh, The fact that we're running out of topsoil and the fact that we have many of our major aquifers are running dry, that we've lost so many trees. Like these are major ecological issues that are going to impact us one day. Uh, It could be in the form of a lack of water, which God forbid, that's just, you know, that's scary. Lack of oil is scary, but think about how much worse lack of water would be. And of course, we need topsoil. So that's basically how I got into this journey. So was your work doing um, with Leaf and Limb part of a family business as well? Yes. It's, my dad founded the company, and uh, that was back in 1997. I joined in 2010. We became business partners. And we've been growing ever since. We were originally a traditional tree service. I've got to be careful not to go into too many rabbit holes today because um, I, I love talking. <laughs> but uh, my industry, the tree service industry, 
Um, it's ironic that we call ourselves the tree care industry because really most of what we do is cut trees down. And we were also guilty of that at Leaf and Limb. At least, I mean, when I first joined, most of our revenue was from cutting trees down. By 2017-18, about 60% of our revenue was from cutting trees down. And when these issues became very important to me, which is around the 2016-2017 timeframe, I knew we had to get out of removals. Um, my original plan was to steer us out using the sales team, meaning just sell less of it. But we ran into a lot of really big fundamental issues with that approach. So what I ended up having to do was much more dramatic. In 2017, I had set a goal for the sales team that I wanted removals to be less than 10% of our revenue stream within the next three to five years. Three years passed and we had not even moved the needle and I knew this wasn't gonna work. So I essentially told the company, well, told is a strong word. I had lots of meetings with different groups in the company and we all concluded that we were gonna to have to find a different way. And the way we chose was simply don't offer anymore. So we set a six month time frame. We don't offer the service anymore. By January, 2020, we were gonna have completely cleared our queue of all removals. And we announced it to the public in 2020 to hold ourselves accountable. So as of January, 2020, we gave up a huge revenue stream and we only care for trees now and we only plant trees and we also do a lot of public awareness um, presentations, events, things like that, explaining to people why trees matter. Excellent. Excellent. As an arborist in the Raleigh area, what do you find are some of the most common challenges for local trees and how are you addressing them? Man, our challenges are so fundamental that it's kind of sad. I think the most fundamental challenge about trees is that there is legitimately a phenomenon called plant blindness. And it is many, much of the population don't even see trees. Like they might see the tree, like, okay, I know there's an object there, but they really don't understand even what they're looking at. It's, it's a phenomenon called plant blindness. And uh, I think that's the first most fundamental challenge we're trying to overcome. It's just simply getting people to see their trees, become more connected with their trees, learn about the complexities and richness and diversity and beauty of their trees and that's the perfect segue to Project Panda because that's one of the big motivating uh, forces behind Project Panda is, yes, we're growing trees to give away and we're solving lots of problems. But one of the fundamental things we're trying to get at is connecting people with trees, collecting seeds, growing trees, giving them away, working with the soil. Because um, I'm essentially just borrowing from my own playbook. That was how I became an environmentalist. It wasn't through being told or wasn't through political pressures. As a matter of fact, I was on a side of the political spectrum that actually, you know, my 20s, I thought climate crisis was not real and it was, a, it was a political game. But in the process of working with soil and trees, I went, you know, I, I learned on my own these things. So with Project Pando, that's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to recreate the process of connecting people with trees because there's something powerful there. Excellent. Excellent. A few um, episodes ago, we interviewed Maggie Bailey with We Plant It Forward, and, and this is how we actually learned about um, Project Pando. Can you tell me the story of why you created this project and what you are accomplishing with this now in the area? Yeah, the original inception of Project Pando was that uh, this was back in 2016 or 17. We as a company would go out once a month and volunteer with local nonprofits. And every first Friday of the month, 
we would pay our staff, the whole company to go out and do a volunteer work day. It was really a lot of fun. But after three years of doing that, we started to realize a couple of things. One, some of these projects weren't really putting us to work, number one. N number two, most of these projects were not engaging our, our, our best skill set, which is a knowledge of trees and soil and ecosystems. And number three, we weren't really leaning into our expertise, meaning if we're going to be doing work in the community, maybe we could focus on something that we know a lot about. So in 2019, we came up with a new concept for Project Panda, same name, but now different focus. And this is where we began the process of collecting seeds from native trees, wild native trees, growing those up and giving them away for free. And I can go into a little bit of a rabbit hole here on, on sort of why that came about. A couple of things to know about trees in general, uh, and we've experienced this firsthand on the leaf and limb side, and that is when you want to buy a tree, you run into several fundamental issues. Number one, it's hard to find native trees. And I don't know if you're uh, aware of what a native is. I, would, I think you are based on, but, but just for those who maybe aren't, a native tree is a tree that has grown in this, in your local ecosystem, and it has co-evolved with your local insects and your local birds. So it's able to provide food and habitat for a lot of life. Whereas like, let's for example, uh, a, a white oak here in North Carolina will feed something like 500 different species of caterpillar. But if we were to plant a Japanese maple, which are very popular here, they're beautiful, they photosynthesize, so they certainly have benefits, um, but they don't feed much. A Japanese maple might only feed 10 different insects here locally. So if you're thinking about biodiversity, natives really do matter. It's a way to support local biodiversity. And y'all, if, if, if you don't know this, we've lost 60% of all life on this planet over the last 40 years. And that, that's across all categories. That's birds, that's fish, you name it. So we do have to be thinking about biodiversity. So that's why natives matter. They're hard to find from nurseries because most people don't, aren't, aren't interested in natives, not for any particular reason other than they just don't know any better. Second, most of the plants you buy from nurseries come raised in containers or they're dug out of the field. And these create really serious root issues that go on to plague the trees for many, many years, often leading to premature death. So we have these local nonprofits that are planting trees and, and they're planting trees that are doomed from the outset. But then it takes us to the third issue, which is that these containerized trees and these bald and burlap trees, when you plant them, it requires a high degree of technical expertise. And that's where we're seeing a lot of issues. We're seeing nonprofits hitting three, three big walls. Number one, they don't know how to properly plant trees. Number two, they're dealing with stock that's already doomed from the outset. And then number three, and this is the biggest final piece of this puzzle, these trees cost money. And it's kind of silly to think about having to pay for trees. Because if you know how to raise trees and you know how to find the seeds and identify the tree, they're abundantly free everywhere. So all of this served as inspiration for this, this project Panda that we've got going on. And that is we wanted to make, we want to make trees free. We want to open up the pipeline for local native trees. Uh, we want to solve that issue of, of, of poor root development, which we've done and how we raise trees. And most importantly, we want to get people engaged. So kind of meta level, we're hoping that this can be, uh, we, it's, everything's open source. Uh, all, everything we're doing, we're making available for free because we want other 
cities and communities, whoever's interested, we want them to replicate the model because it could serve as the operational side for major reforestation. You have great initiatives out there that want to do a lot of really amazing work on reforestation, but they're running into two fundamental issues. And that is number one, getting a hold of seeds. That's a National Geographic just ran a really big article about this, about the lack of native seeds that are available and, and the, even in a tiny population of people who know how to actually harvest them. So we want to hit that. And then if you're going to do reforestation, you need lots of trees. Well, where are you going to get those trees? There's a lot of money needed there. So this solves both of those. Free trees, they're native. And then the final piece, if it all works out like, like, like it has been, like we hope it does, and that is engaging people, changing hearts and minds, digging in the soil with your hands and, and experiencing the joy of raising and growing trees. And hopefully that's the, that's the, the impetus some folks need to get a little more active on big environmental issues. Excellent. How long have you been doing this and how many trees have you given away so far? So we started, the volunteer portion ran for three years from 2016 to 2019. That was the first part of my story. But this part of the story that's relevant today started in 2019. So we are now approaching, and by the way, time has just blurred over the last several years. I think, I think it's about the three-year mark roughly. Uh, it's, we haven't given away, we've given away about 7,000 trees so far, but remember it takes some time so you got to raise it. So we have many, much more coming online in coming years. Like for example, this next season, we hope to have closer to 20,000 trees available. And then in, in years beyond, I mean, our goals are 50, 100,000, those sorts of numbers. But we also hope, we're also working on all the videos and the tutorials and the how-to, because it's important to us, like, yes, we want to produce trees, but we also want to make a blueprint to give away and then there's that third component, which is we're really working on engaging our volunteers. So a lot of what we do are educational classes. We do tree ID walks. We do classes on how to do propagation and pruning. So there's a lot of education that goes into it. We do measure our success based on how many trees we give away, but that's not the only metric for success. It's also our other metrics for success are um, volunteer hours, hours of engagement, educational hours, uh, progress on the blueprint. How... How long do you grow your seedlings before you give them away generally? One of the fun things about Panda is it's super experimental. So we're trying lots of really unique ways to grow trees. But currently, our favorite method is using air pruning beds. Uh, the idea is you have these beds that have a mesh bottom. And when the taproot goes down and it encounter, it goes through the mesh and it encounters air, then it stops growing and it actually starts growing laterally. So it makes these really beautiful roots on these young trees. And for the air pruning trees, we grow them one to two years. And we, you know, there's so many areas we're trying to tackle, but we're trying to change public perception on the idea of planting big trees because I, I've listed all of the issues earlier with roots and technical expertise, but there's also the issue of big trees need lots of water after they're planted and lots of maintenance. When you plant saplings, it is so easy. It's like you, you know, you stick your shovel in the ground one or two times, you put the sapling in the ground, you close the hole, it's good to go. It's not even going to need any maintenance because they're so hardy, especially natives. So with these saplings, it's less work, it's less maintenance, high, uh, great root development, so at first it looks eh, not, not as exciting. You know, you might only have a 12 or a 15 inch little tree, but when you compare their growth rates over the coming years, those little saplings outperform the traditional trees 
remarkably well. And they're a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the effort to put in. So we're really trying to change public perception here locally around big trees. Uh, because again, if we're going to do reforestation in urban areas, especially, we've got to be thinking about how are we going to actually make this practically feasible. And with planting saplings, we, we don't have the technical expertise hump anymore. I don't know if neighborhoods where you live are the same as where I live, but everywhere that I live, these new neighborhoods, the landscapers are putting trees in wrong. They're just not going to make it. So with the sapling, it's really hard to mess it up. They're so resilient at that young age. Yeah. I was reading that the local land conservation um, organization loaned you an area in one of their preserves for this project. That must have been great news when you were first getting things set up. Yeah, we are very fortunate. Trying the Land Conservancy is one of our uh, local nonprofits, phenomenal organization, just love them to death. And we've supported them over the years. And then they were kind enough to let us use a space um, at, at uh, the Williamson Preserve. Um, and, and what's really cool about this particular preserve is one of the, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't know the intricacies as well as I should, but I believe one of the founding ideas behind this preserve was that, yes, it is a nature of conservancy. It is a preserve. There are walking trails, things like that. But part of it is to be used by people working in the regenerative space. So also on this property, there are some folks that are uh, working with pollinators, some folks that are working with uh, cattle doing rotational grazing. I believe there's a group working on measuring carbon in the soil. So there's a lot of cool projects out here, and we're one of them. Nice. Um, so what are some of the other things that you've needed to get going? Being that these are native tree seedlings, do you find that you can just start a lot of seedlings outdoors, or do you need a greenhouse or like a more protective? Oh, no. we're And that's, the, that's another thing that's important to know. We are building this model so that you can do it for free. Or if you have money, great, you just make it faster. But this is built, like we scrap wood and we scrap. Now, recently we've been buying more stuff just to speed up the timeline. But if we can get reclaimed items on Craigslist or from donations, we prefer that way. Um, because we really truly want this to be something that any community can do. So the short answer is the well, everything we're building can be done for complete free. All you need is volunteer input. And you don't even need a space at a conservancy like we have. This is the kind of work that can be done in a common area in your community. It can be done, you know, every city has hundreds of acres of green space that they do nothing but mow. So it could be in a, in a patch of of, of a green space in your local municipality, it just does not require much. And that's by design. The, the hardest part really is learning your local tree species. That we have found is the hardest challenge. So we know our tree ID because, you know, on, on the leaf and limb side of our trees are our profession. Uh, so that's really a big boost. But I would expect in most any community, there's somebody who knows trees who can teach others. And if there aren't, there are lots of online resources. That's the biggest challenge right there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, now that you're in full operation, how are you getting the word out to locals to find volunteers? And are you bringing in um, interns, maybe uh, interns that are studying a university, yeah. studying about those native trees? Yeah, I, let me answer that question really quick. I shouldn't have said that the tree idea is the biggest issue. It's a big issue. There are other big issues as well. Like I'll give you a really fast one that's just shocked me, and that is, there's almost no research or work done in the space of propagating native seeds. It's shocking how little information there is available for propagating native seeds. So that is interesting to me. Uh, I hope that this actually produces the playbook for how we go about propagating most of our native species. But back to your question, 
we haven't had to do much. Word has spread pretty rapidly. I've been surprised. People really, really love, love is a strong word. People resonate, I think, with the idea. And as I look around the local nonprofit landscape, there's a lot you can do with social issues. If you want to work on environmental issues, there isn't a lot. I mean, you okay, there is some good stuff. Stream cleanups, uh, trash cleanups, invasive removals, that kind of stuff. But if you want to work on growing trees or plant, particularly growing trees, I think we're pretty unique in that regard. So that probably helps. Uh, it's mostly just been word of mouth. And I should add also, we use leaf and limb as a, as a vehicle for spreading the word as well. Uh, leaf and limb is a for-profit business, but we're a mission-driven company. So our purpose, we care for trees because we love the planet. So we use our profits to fund our nonprofit ventures. And I like it like that. I don't want investors investing in leaf and limb because I don't want to be told how we can you know, the decisions we've made, investors would say, absolutely not. If I told an investor two years ago, hey, we're going to gut out half of our revenue stream, they'd say, yeah, right, that's not happening. So not having investors gives us freedom to do what we want to do on that side. And then not having to rely on philanthropy frees us from a different set of hooks. Unfortunately, in the world of philanthropy, the free money often comes with hooks. And we want to be able to fund these things uh, without having to answer to a stakeholder who may not have our same interests at heart. So leaf and limb, we, we use our, we've, we've told our client base about Project Pando. Some of them have become engaged. That definitely helps get the word out. Uh, and then beyond that, it's just been folks telling each other. Excellent. Excellent. Are there any um, specific ecological schools of thought or methods that inspire how the seedlings are started and transplanted? before they're given away, like maybe um, Dr. Laningham's soil food web methods or the Miyawaki urban forestry methods or permaculture, any of those perhaps? Well, let me say, uh, Elaine Ingham is amazing. Her work has absolutely influenced me. Uh, that was you know years ago in learning about soil food. She was a pivotal part of that, as were others. No, not really. Our main model is trying to keep it as closely related to nature as possible. And that's been our approach as a tree service as well, leaf and limb. We really try, you know, for example, like one of the reasons we got into soil is I thought it, you know, we thought to ourselves, nobody's out in the woods taking soil samples and adding fertilizers. Like, why is the chemical response the, the chosen method here? Well, you know, we could go into all kinds of layers about why that is, but the, the reality is the answer is to look at the forest and it's like, oh, the leaves fall every fall and sticks fall and they're decomposing. And that organic matter is feeding a really rich bounty of life that then goes on to make nutrients available for plants. So, okay, so what is our job then in the urban ecology? It's just foster natural systems. We do the same thing with Project Panda. We're trying to foster natural systems. So for example, when we're raising our trees, we don't use substrate that we buy. We just use a leaf compost. We have just, we get, we, the city of Raleigh brings us heaps of leaves that they're collecting from the curb that would just be shipped off to wherever. Uh, and they bring it to us. It's, a, it's, it's good for them. It saves them money and, and efforts and say, and it gives us free leaves. And we take those leaves, we let them rot and we're growing our seeds and rotting leaves, which, you know, makes sense. It jives with the forest. Uh, and they, we've had great success in that regard. 
Um, that's one small example. Everything we're doing, we're trying to think about natural systems. Uh, for example, we don't irrigate our trees. Generally speaking, there are some exception, exceptions, mainly because we really, if a sapling's gonna make it, it needs to be able to make it. Um, and that's how nature works. So we really, the answer to your question is we, to the extent we can try to foster natural systems. And going to Miyawaki, it's interesting that you bring that up. I like Miyawaki method. It's great. I do have a little bit of an issue with how much effort is required uh, in that particular methodology. We came up with something a little different. Um, we basically do high density planting uh, without doing soil prep, without doing maintenance, with the, skipping. We don't do much of the Miyawaki method and, and we're having pretty good success. Uh, I, we'll know more in future years. We have a lot of we have a lot of experimental trials growing on all kinds of things right now. High density planting is one of those things. I'm a big fan of Miyawaki, don't get me wrong, I love it, but the amount of effort required to do the soil prep and the two to three years of maintenance, it's a lot. Again, I'm thinking to myself, we're thinking, how do you do that at scale? If you need to reforest areas and we need to make big big actions here, then we, we really have to be able to do this for as little effort and as little money as possible. So one of the things we're working on with Project Pando I'm sorry for going into all the rabbit holes here, but we we, get, we do tree giveaways and people take a tree or two, which is great. You know, I love it. Come get a tree. But we really want to do more than a tree. We really want to give away whole ecosystems. So one of the reasons we're working in the high density planting space is there's this misconception amongst most homeowners here in our area, which is if I want to plant a tree, uh, it needs about like, oh, I don't know. 20 by 20 or 30 by 30, some big open space. Well, you can get way more trees in that space. I mean, some of our experiments, we're planting two feet from each other. So in, a, in like a 500 square foot area, which is a typical front yard, not even, that's a small front yard actually, 500 square feet, you can fit 125 trees in there. And if you're really careful about what you're putting in there, you know, a blend of overstory and understory and shrub layer and all native, then you can have something really spectacular in terms of ecological benefits. So what we're kind of what we're loosely working towards right now, one of the many things we're working towards is being able to give people entire ecosystems. So we would grow, right now we're growing about 50 different species. Um, and somebody would come to us and say, hey, I've got 100 square feet. Say, okay, cool. Well, here's the math. Okay, da, da, da. All right, 25 trees. Here's a, a little ecosystem. It's a prepackaged um, bundle of overstory, understory, shrub layer. Uh, space them two feet apart. Put some wood chips down first, and let it grow. And we'll see how that goes. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, I was very impressed to learn that you are now working on making Project Pando Nursery an open source blueprint um, that can be replicated by anybody nearly anywhere for very minimal costs. Um, it seems like this couldn't obviously be coming at a better time for a planet. Um, can you explain how you're starting to share these open source blueprints? Yes, our biggest platform, most of our volunteers were on Slack. Slack is, just, you know, it's, it's part of the whole, there's a lot of ways you can do public forums and have discussions. Uh, we just settled on Slack. So right now, most of the stuff we're sharing is internally on Slack. 
we are also amassing a bunch of videos and documents. Right now, it's mostly people come to us and, and say, hey, I need some help at X, Y, or Z. We're working with several organizations trying to do similar things. So we'll just share whatever we have. What I think will probably be the end deliverable is in a couple of years time, I imagine we do some kind of nice, neat packaging of everything. I don't know exactly how that looks. I don't know if that's a website. I don't know if that's just YouTube plus some links to documents, but we're not far enough yet to really offer a nice, I don't want to jump the gun. When, when we offer it, I want it to be easy to figure out. Right now, everything we have is available, but it would be hard to make heads or tails of if I handed you everything because you have just to wade through a bunch of documents and experimental things and video clips. So I think you're asking, well, let me answer two questions. One, if people have want to get involved now, Slack is the best way to do it. And we make anything and everything available that we have. But for those who might want something a little easier to understand, you know, like, okay, can you hand me the package so I can start at A and work to Z? That will be available in the coming years. We just haven't quite gotten there yet. And I expect that'll be like a web page or something. Sure. Excellent. So as a for-profit organization working alongside of a nonprofit project, are there any challenges that you faced and how are you working through them? We're just doing things a little weird. So a lot of people kind of scratch their head and they're like, I don't get it. And I understand that. We're sort of breaking paradigms a little bit. We're not the only one doing this sort of thing. I mean, there's other amazing companies out there that are for-profit who do wonderful things. Uh, so it's not totally new, but I think a lot of the population is still sort of being introduced to this concept. So that's one. There's always a little head scratch, but I like that. That's great because it means we're going to have a fun conversation. We have to be careful about, as a nonprofit, making sure we keep the two entities separated. And one cool thing I like about Leaf and Limb is we keep a fairly open dialogue uh, amongst each other. So there's just a standing in invitation to everybody. Hey, if you think we're blurring ethical lines at all, please say something. And we've had a couple of, we've had issues raised in the past and uh, had to make a few corrections. So we want to be really careful about blurring ethical lines here, meaning specifically, we don't want uh, volunteer efforts to be used towards uh, for-profit gain. So that's, but you know, the truth of the matter is uh, maybe we'll turn it into a 5013C one day. I don't know, but even if we do, there's still ethical lines to be watched. It's still the same people managing the same thing. So Ethics are always going to be at the core of who we are, and we, we, we work hard on trying to have open dialogue about ethical conversations related to Panda and elsewhere. I guess those are the, the biggest challenges, but they're very minor. I mean, it's just been a ton of fun. Project Panda is just the best. I, you know, some days I just want to go and do Panda full time. It's great. <laughs> what are some of the, the ways that you, are, uh, you and others are enjoying the rewards of your work? I don't have a really tangible way to describe it other than there is true joy in raising plants, particularly native plants, and helping heal landscapes. It's just so satisfying. That's the extent of the reward, I think, for me thus far. I think some of our staff have really enjoyed getting a chance to do experimental things. We've We've got sheep there. Uh, one of our staff likes sheep and she wants to, um, so she's been, she's hosted sheep out at Project Panda as a way to uh, reduce our need for mowing grass. So, you know, we couldn't really do sheep at leaf and limb per se, 
but we could definitely do it out there. So it's sort of this fun research and experimental outlet where staff can do fun things that you couldn't probably do within the business model. Cause it's just like, you know, what would we do with sheep, for example? So those are some, that's a fun aspect. And then getting to engage with a wider base has been really rewarding. I do love the volunteer days and the events. I've met a lot of really fantastic people. I have found that there are a group of very hardcore tree enthusiasts out there. They're small, but, but we've got a group. So that's been rewarding as well. Nice. Nice. So if your ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others, what advice would you give to someone who is also considering this in their local area? My advice is the hardest part is just starting. And once you get started, you'll find that it's much easier than you might have expected. And I'm going to bet dollars to donuts that you're going to really enjoy it. It might not seem like it. I, I, I've been on both sides here because I didn't used to, this wasn't my thing either. But now being on this side, growing trees and giving them away, it's incredible. So I think we all struggle to find meaningful activities in life. So much, there's so many shiny objects out there. Uh, there's something very satisfying, rewarding about raising plants and watching them grow and particularly native plants that help restore local biodiversity and then seeing community come together and do this together and making friends. It's just a really fun thing. And it can be done at a tiny level, again, a community level, if you live in an HOA, or it can be done at a city level. There's a lot of ways it can be done with your friends in your backyard. Uh, you know, an air pruning bed is not large. Um, so I guess my advice is start it. You're going to have fun and you're going to find it meaningful. Nice. Nice. Um, what resource would you like to recommend? Maybe a book or website or video or podcast that might have been particularly helpful or inspiring to you? I guess a couple of things to think about are like if we're just talking about Project Pando, probably, you know, I hate to plug Project Pando here. Probably the best way to follow along is to actually just get involved with this. There isn't really a book or an organization out there like this. I'd love to refer a book on how to raise trees and, and, and how to propagate various native seeds, but there, there just isn't a whole lot. So I think if you're interested in Project Panda, the best way is just to join. And the way you do that is you go to Leaf and Limb's website, an about menu, you can see Project Panda, and then there's lots of ways to get plugged in. You can get on the newsletter list, you can get on our Slack platform, a lot of fun ways to get plugged in. But if we go kind of just out a little level, the types of things to look for in terms of reading. I think it's worth reading some books on soil. Elaningham is amazing. Uh, teaming with Microbes, Teaming with Fungi, Teaming with Nutrients is another series that I love. I can't remember the author's name right now. Paul Stamets has done some great work on fungi. Paul is a mixed character for me, but his uh, book, Mycelium Running, was definitely pivotal. Uh, I think it's important to learn about systems theory. Donella Meadows Thinking in Systems, Tom Wessels, The Myth of Progress. Uh, these are phenomenal systems levels book. I think it's also worth learning about ecology. Yeah, I'm going to just stop there. I can go to a rabbit hole in this one. But yeah, soil, ecology, systems theory, systems thinking, I think is very important. I think systems thinking gets at the heart of all of our issues. To really understand the issues we're facing on a global level or on a community level or a national level, you have to understand systems thinking, which is also called nonlinear thinking. It's very important. Yeah. So you did mention um, Project Panda. What is your uh, website address? Okay. Uh, it's leaflimb.com forward slash Pando. 
And if you were just to Google Project Panda Raleigh, North Carolina, you're going to find it or whatever search browser you're using. But leaflim, one word, dot com forward slash panda or just Google Raleigh, North Carolina, Project Panda. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for the great work that you're doing and uh, taking the time to share that with our listeners. I look forward to learning about how many thousands and millions of trees you've been helping and get started as a result of Project Pando. This was really, truly a pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you haven't yet visited your local green online hub, then please visit gogreenlocally.org and check out the directories for events, groups, businesses, online resources, and local support listings for your area. If you find something is missing, then let us know or just log in and add it. These are community free sharing directories.